in the footsteps of Jesus from down under. This is Nick Krita, your host. Welcome to the program. I'm very happy to be with you today and also uh, very happy to say welcome to my guest today. Shane, it's our guest and please stay with us because you'll be very happy to hear his amazing story. Shane, welcome to the program. Thank you, Nick. It's good to be here. And uh, we are looking forward to hear your amazing story, your walk with Jesus. Would you like to start with just telling us a bit about yourself? Uh, where are you from? Where you grew up? And uh, as we go, we'll uh, definitely hear more details uh, in regard to this. Okay. Well, thank you, Nick. I was born in New Zealand, born in a little coastal town called Bluff, which is located at the bottom of the South Island of New Zealand. Although I do not actually ever remember living there as we moved um, when, oh, probably when I was about two or three years of age, we, we moved from there. So my earliest memories are of living in a little town called Ohai, which is also in the South Island of New Zealand. My father was a fisherman, and he came from a long line of fishermen, and his family went right back to the whaling days uh, in, in New Zealand. My father was also born in New Zealand, and my mother was born in Australia. Now, how they met is an interesting story in itself. My father was in the Merchant Navy and he was on leave in Melbourne for just a, a couple of days and he met my mother. Three weeks later they were married. Uh, a very, very quick romance indeed and then they, they moved back to New Zealand. I started my schooling in Ojai where life was really good for me. I had two brothers and one sister. I was the second youngest child. My father was working in the open cut coal mines and we also had a poultry farm. We all had to work very hard at home because my father worked long hours in the mines. And he would usually start around about 4 or 5 a.m. in the morning and not finish till at least 9 to 10 at night. And he did that pretty much seven days a week. Mum and us children had to do a lot of work on the farm. And Dad would often do work on the farm also when he got home um, of an evening. After school, we would start work on the farm, which consisted of a lot of cleaning, sorting, and packing eggs. While life was very hard and we certainly didn't have a lot of money, I had a really good childhood. As children, even though we worked very, very hard, we didn't have much time for doing anything else but work, but we always had time, particularly on the weekends, to do what kids normally do, and that would be swimming down at the creek, trying to dam up the creek, and many, many other adventures. My parents, though, were very, very wonderful parents, and we were loved unconditionally. Growing up, we had no religious involvement as my mother was an atheist and my father believed in God but was not a practicing Christian. My father came from a Maori background, so he had a lot of exposure when he was younger to a lot of the Maori beliefs and traditions. About the only time my mother gave me any re religious instruction was when I used to go to religious instruction at school. Once a week on a Wednesday morning at school, we had one hour in which a minister would come along and talk about religious matters, although I can never ever remember any of what he said. Each week my mother would give me a question about religion, which was meant to stump the minister. I would ask the minister the question, and he would often not answer or couldn't answer. Then when I got home, mum would ask if I'd asked the minister that question, I said yes, and when she asked was he stumped, and I said yes, she thought that was hilarious. So that was the religious instruction I got from my mother. When I was about eight years of age, we moved from Ojai to a place called the Chatham Islands, which is quite a long way from New Zealand itself, 
back then it was a three-hour flight an old, an, on an old Bristol freighter plane. We lived on an island called Pitt Island, which is a small, off, small island off the main Chatham Islands itself. My father decided to go back fishing for crayfish. Pitt Island is a very remote, rugged and beautiful place. My sister and older brother stayed back in New Zealand at boarding school, or at boarding with some friends, and I went to Pitt Island. My younger brother and I lived at Pitt Island with mum and dad. Life on Pitt Island was a fantastic experience for a young, energetic boy like myself. There were no cars on the island, so the main form of transport was horseback. I used, in fact, I used to ride a horse to school, which took me well over an hour each way. Often, though, it would take me two hours, as there were many distractions on the way to school. Distractions like checking my eel traps, chasing wild pigs, beachcombing, and many other fun things, which had to be explored before school, of course, Nick. You'd understand that. The population on Pitt Island was only about 40 to 50 people at that time. Our school was a one-teacher school with 14 pupils. There was one other boy in my class, so when my mother asked how I was going at school, I said, really well. Whenever we had a test in my class, the other boy always came first and I was second. When mum asked how the test went, I would tell her really well and that I'd come second. She thought that was wonderful until one day she found out that there was only two of us in my class. Then she told me off for coming last, but I maintained that I didn't come last, I came second. We never did agree on that interpretation of hers though. At school I had the longest distance to ride and because I was always getting there late because of my many distractions on the way, my teacher never told me off for being late as she just felt sorry for me having to ride so far. She thought I was just slow getting there, not because of my distractions. Life on Pitt Island was harder than in Ojai because you really had to be self-sufficient as there were no shops, power or any of the so-called mod cons. You had to bake your own bread, milk your own cow. In fact, that was my job every day to milk the cow, which I thought was terrible. I had to do that. Grow your vegetables and butcher your own meat. In fact, I had to do that as I got a little bit older as well. You only got your supplies every six months, which came by ship from New Zealand. If you ran out anything, you simply ran out and wait for six months till the ship came back. Because I had to ride so far to school, my mother thought it would be better for me to enrol in correspondence school to save having me leave so early for school each day and getting back late. Well, to me, that was the best thing that had ever happened because when I got my lessons, I would barely do them and go through them very, very quickly. I used to try and finish by lunchtime and when, up, when mum asked me, have you finished? I simply said, yes, mum, all done. And off I would go to explore the world. That only lasted for a few months, though, as Mum started getting letters from my correspondence teacher asking her why I wasn't getting my, my lessons done. When Mum found out what I'd really been up to, I was quickly disciplined. Mum decided that correspondence school just wasn't going to work for me, so I was back to writing to school and in the classroom again. After about two years after we were living at Pitt Island, my little brother went missing one day. They called my dad back from fishing and all the island residents rode over to our place to help uh, look for him. We lived close to the beach, so everyone spent hours along the coastline f looking for him. My dad decided that he would go back to our house and start looking on the back of our property, as there was a lot of bush there. 
there was an old wool shed quite a long way from our house, so he went he went looking there. At the back of the shed, there was a disused sheep dip that was full of water. That's where he found him, face down, drowned in the sheep dip. Mm. Well, our wonderful life just crashed around our happy little family. My mother obviously went went into shock, and we nearly lost her, as she had just lost the will to live. She also was racked with guilt because she blamed herself for not being the good mother that she should have been and watching her little son. My father was also racked with guilt because he blamed himself for not emptying and filling the sheep dip. Mm. Up until this time, my mother, being an atheist, thought she had all the answers to the meaning of life, etc. But when she lost her younger son, her world crashed around her as her atheistic beliefs were not able to comfort her as to why this had happened. Was her son in heaven or hell or just nowhere or was that the end of everything? My mum was very ill for a number of months, obviously depressed and lost the will to live, but eventually she came to the realisation that she did have three other children that still needed her. After about four or five months after my little brother Lenny died, my father decided to take my mother and myself to Christchurch for a break from home and try to revive mum as she was still very, very ill um, and fragile. In Christchurch, we stayed at a motel that was owned and operated by a couple, and mum got to know the lady who owned the motel. One evening, mum came back to the room after visiting with Mrs Adams, the motel owner, and she said that the next night she was going to visit with her and sort her out, as she had some really weird and wacky ideas about religion. Well, it turned out that it was mum who got sorted out, because Mrs Adams shared with mum what the Bible had to say over the state of the dead and what happened to people when they die. When she found out that one day she may see her son again, that filled her with such hope and joy. My dad went along with mum to the Bible studies, and he too was beginning to share the same hope and joy that mum was having. We stayed at Mrs Adams Motel for about six weeks. When it was time to go back to the Chatham Islands, Mum just couldn't face going back there. So Mum and Dad decided to move to Australia and start a new life. They decided that they would go by themselves and I would stay in Christchurch with my older sister and go to school there, which we did. Then, after they found a place that they liked and settled down, they would call for me and I would follow them. Shane, just uh, before we continue, I would like to just take a short break. Please don't go anywhere. Stay with us, because after the break, we'll find out what the role would an ex-detective play in Shane's story. This is In the Footsteps of Jesus, from Down Under. It's radiant light. 
Welcome Back. That was a wonderful song with Jennifer LaMontagne about the second coming of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Is that wonderful to know that Jesus is coming back to sort out things for us? We learned in the first part that Shane was experiencing some hardship with his family, a loss when his brother was uh, found dead. But now they are ready to step into a new chapter. They are moving to Australia. Shane, what happened after you come to Australia? Yes, Nick, after um, my parents left Christchurch, they moved to Townsville in North Queensland. And in about three months' time, they sent for me, which was the end of November 1971. And I can remember being very unhappy with my mother when I got to Townsville, as this was my last year of primary school, and it was only about two weeks of, of the school year left, but she still made me go for the last two weeks. My mother could be very unreasonable at times, and I told her so, but it made no difference. I still had to go to the new school for two weeks, and then next year I started high school, so another new school for me. I also remember vividly, just after a few weeks that I arrived in Townsville, on the 24th of December 1971, Cyclone Althea hit Townsville. I remember telling my parents as we sat in our lounge, watching the cyclone raging all around us and seeing tin peeling off our neighbours' homes that they had brought me to hell or somewhere just as bad. This was the first time I had ever experienced such humid heat as well and coming from the Chatham Islands where it seldom got warm to the middle of the humid tropics and of course no air conditioning and a cyclone was more than I could handle. Early in the following year, there was a flyer or brochure arrived in our letterbox with the title Ex-Detective Finds the Truth About What Happens After Death for a series of meetings that was going to be held in Townsville. This title interested my mum and my dad as they had not long since been studying in Christ, back in Christchurch with Mrs Adams, the motel owner, the subject of Life After Death. The other reason why they were interested in the flyer's title was that my father had always had a lot of respect for the police and held them in very high regard. In fact, as a little boy, I can still remember him telling me that if you are ever in trouble about anything, find a policeman and he will help you out. Another interesting fact was that the flyer said that it was an ex-South Australian detective who was now a minister that was taking these presentations. So my father thought, well, if anyone is going to know about life after death, this ex-detective would be the person who would find the truth and let him know. Well, my mum and dad and myself started going along to these presentations every evening for a number of weeks. We also started having Bible studies in our home with this ex-detective, who was a wonderful Christian man. After a couple of weeks, the ex-detective minister brought another minister round to meet our family. As my dad was telling this new minister about the tragedy of the loss of his son, the minister said to my dad, Brother, I have prayed for you and your family before. My dad said, How could you have prayed for us before? Because you have only met us this evening. The minister said that Mrs Adams, the lady in the motel we had stayed at in Christchurch back in New Zealand, was one of the members of his church. One Wednesday evening prayer meeting, 
Mrs. Adams came in and told the congregation that she had a family staying in her motel that were going through a really terrible ordeal with their youngest son drowning at the Chatham Islands. That evening, this minister and others in the congregation prayed for our family. After these presentations and a lot of Bible study, my mum, dad and myself, after hearing the good news of Jesus' death on the cross, the plan of redemption and the hope of seeing dead ones, seeing your loved ones again and the hope of spending eternity together in a perfect world was more than enough reasons to want to be baptised and we became Seventh-day Adventist Christians. Dad was baptised first, by the ex-detective of course, then my mother and about a year later I was baptised. By this time we had moved to Mackay in North Queensland where I completed my high school years. I would love to say that after we became Christians, our lives were just wonderful, and we never had another care in the world. However, that certainly wasn't the case. A few years later, my dad was diagnosed with cancer of the stomach and went through a number of operations. And one of those operations, they cut out his stomach and just kept the pieces that were okay and made a little stomach about the size of your fist out of that. He lost a lot of weight and found it hard to keep weight on. With his little stomach, he had to eat every two or three hours, so it was quite a challenge for him. While Dad's sickness was going on, Mum was diagnosed with diabetes. Her pancreas had just stopped working. What was really interesting with Mum's diabetes was that Mum was never sick, always healthy, and there was no diabetes in her family. When the doctor asked her all these questions, he asked her had there been any trauma or major stressful events that had taken place in her life. And she, of course, mentioned the tragedy of losing her son. The doctor believed that this is what caused her diabetes. Apparently, your pancreas can just stop working sometimes when the body suffers a stressful event like happened to my mum. Mum always struggled to keep weight on because of her condition and because she was always such a petite little lady. Well, sadly, when I was 19 years of age, we lost mum. I can remember the difference, though, between my mother's funeral and my little brother's funeral not that many years ago. When my brother drowned, I had no idea what happened to him. He had gone to heaven or to hell, was a spirit floating around somewhere. We didn't know. It was a very dark and sad time when he died because of the uncertainty. However, when mum died, as sad as it was that she had died, I remembered when her coffin went down into the grave, I said to myself, I will see you in the morning, Mum, when Jesus returns. Again, though, it was that same ex-detective minister who conducted my mother's funeral. After my mum died, sadly, my dad really went to pieces and gave up on God. He went back to drinking and smoking, which, of course, was the worst thing he could do considering his condition with his cancer. I guess with all that he had gone through, he just couldn't take it anymore. He also got heavily involved in the spirit world and starting, started seeing apparitions of my dead mother and different things like that. He tried to get my brother and I involved, but praise God we never did. When I was 26 years of age, sadly my dad passed away. Fortunately, though, just before he died, he did repent and gave his heart back to Jesus. Actually, on the night he gave his heart back to Jesus, not long before he died, he gave me his big family Bible, which I still have today. On the inside of the Bible, he wrote, 
Lord, bless this family. So my dying father's prayer has been answered. As the Lord has truly blessed my family and I. I do long for the day when he will meet his grandchildren, which he never got the opportunity in this life. A really nice part of the story is that Mrs Adams, the motel owner from Christchurch, never knew the outcome of what happened to that little family from the Chatham Islands. Well, many years later, I was able to track her down. It was at a church camp meeting. I was asking people around. They knew a Mrs Adams. I was told that she was there, but didn't know where she was. I was told she always comes to the early morning meetings. So I got up early the next morning and went to the meeting. Sitting up the front to the left side of the seats, I saw this little lady, which I immediately recognised as Mrs Adams. Even though I was only about nine years old when I last saw her, which would have been about 16 to 17 years ago, I sat down beside her and said, Hi, are you Mrs Adams? And she said, Yes. I said to her, Do you remember me? And she said, No. I then asked her if she remembered the family from the Chatham Islands who had lost their little son, who had stayed at her motel many years ago. And she said, Yes, of course I do. I then said, Well, I'm that little boy. She burst into tears and we had a really amazing time catching up on what had happened to our family after we had left her motel. She has sadly passed since that day, but I thank God that he put her into our lives. And she wasn't afraid to share with my mother the good news of Jesus. It was Jesus that gave our broken family hope, and it is the same Jesus that gives me hope all these years later. One of my favourite texts in the Bible that has given me so much hope and assurance is, first, is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 17. And it reads, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Even so, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring to glory. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for that promise, Shane, because everything will be in vain if the Lord wouldn't come. Absolutely. To, Absolutely. to fulfill that promise. Yeah. Now, as I listen to your story, Shane, I know how hard it was for you to share this, because uh, even after um, quite a few years, uh, this is very fresh, probably in your mind, in your heart, yes. in, and affects you. Mm. But that's where we are, Shane, uh, in this life, in the valley of sorrow. Yes. And it's not, nothing good on this earth unless we know God mm. and prepare for His second coming to take us home and to reunite us with the loved ones and also to 
experience eternity mm. with him. And, and I know, Nick, my situation, my story is repeated thousands of times around the world. So there's so, so many people yes. um, that have had and are having exactly the same yes. you know, situation that, that my, my family and I have had. And Shane, just in a, in a minute or two, uh, as we finish this uh, segment, would you have something to say to our listeners, a word of encouragement, or uh, just as you said uh, a bit before, you know that many people out there will experience similar situations. Yes. Well, I, I guess for me and my family, um, life in this world is tough, as you just said, Nick. Uh, mm. There's a lot of sadness, a lot of sickness, a lot of hopelessness. Uh, but for me personally, um, I have hope. Um, I have hope that um, this world is not the end, um, that Jesus Christ is coming again, uh, and that he promises that everyone can have a part in that. Um, and for me, that's uh, very, very special, and, and that's what I would say to anyone listening today, that no matter what you're going through, uh, there is hope in Jesus Christ. Yes. I mean, you coming from a family who didn't have any sort of belief, you no. know, your parents, you know, not believing God, but through their experience in life and they, having that loss, you know, they turn to whom else mm. but to God. And God has answers, even if it's so hard for us. And I could feel it in your uh, uh, voice, Shane, as you told us your story, that that's real. It's uh, very real very real yes. you know uh, for you yeah. and out there as as uh, we mentioned a bit earlier if anybody experience a hard time come to the lord mm. we are also happy to assist you if you like to uh, give us a call uh, the numbers which we provide at the beginning of the program and also uh, during this uh, broadcast you you'll uh, hear uh, more information if you listen to this uh, radio station. I pray to you all, our listeners, that you'll consider today to give your heart, to give your life to Jesus Christ and to follow him because we are living in a very special time and there is not much left. I hope that until next time, you'll keep walking in the footsteps of Jesus.